0: you're listening to the over 50 entrepreneur the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down this is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business now here's your host rick hadrava Hey, everybody. This is Rick Hadrava bringing you another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're a first-time listener, thanks for checking us out. I hope you enjoy today's show. I think you will. Uh, If you're a longtime listener, you've been with us since the beginning, just know that I'm grateful for you. I, I appreciate you sharing with others, helping us grow this program. It's been one heck of a ride so far. Be sure to check out all past episodes. Um, You'll get the show notes to today's episode and past episodes by checking us out at epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. We'll give you this show, past shows, and the show notes. You know, I I had coffee or breakfast with this, this gentleman today that we're meeting with, um, I don't know a couple years ago and it hit me right away that he's much more than your typical attorney um, or fan of the law environment will say this is a true entrepreneur that we're bringing on to the podcast today and you know what's funny is he is a lawyer for entrepreneurs uh, even though he's an entrepreneur himself he's the founder of verge law which now has offices in oklahoma city and dallas and his clients include all sorts of entrepreneurs from startups to emerging growth companies to, to all sorts of different interests and entities. And we'll learn more about that. He's also, um, and I'm interested to learn about this with my love of craft beer, but he co-founded a craft beer bar in a 1903 renovated Victorian house, and he says that you can find him there once in a while, hanging out and, and taking counsel. So, I want to welcome to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast, Matt Jones from Verge Law. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today.
1: Thanks, Rick. Happy to be
0: here. Well, hey, I probably twisted a little bit of that around. But, you know, I'm curious out of the gate, um, Matt, did you just, were you born with this love
1: of law? And and how did you get here? Uh, the, the answer is no. Uh, the So, I mean, I'm sure your listeners have, uh, and yourself, have dealt with lawyers before. Our main job as a lawyer um, and in the profession is really not... Uh, it's not knowing the black letter law, it's not um, necessarily uh, just navigating um, the boring aspects of it, but really we're, we're, we live in the gray areas and helping people to navigate the law and see where they can kind of push the boundaries. And so it's never been about, you know, the, the law per se, but I have been intrigued about arguments forming cases, um, putting deals from start to finish together. And I just knew that the legal profession was, a, was an avenue to exercise that uh, particular interest of mine. Well, was
0: there a point where, because I, I know, you know, when you look at the law, there's so many different directions you can go. What was the point in your life as you're kind of looking at this law career that you decided, hey, I think I want to work with entrepreneurs versus some of the other alternatives that are out there?
1: Yeah, so that's a good, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that from the start, I knew the tribe that I wanted to to serve and that's entrepreneurs. And so uh, my my whole objective was to figure out how do I insert myself into that tribe? And so um, I knew that there was a path on the legal front for entrepreneurs and I knew there was a path for starting your own law firm. And it seemed like the marriage of those two really um, is what intrigued me and allowed me to get into this ecosystem to get into this desired tribe of mine.
0: Okay. Well, so <laughs> I just had a picture as you're explaining that of a networking event where you going up to somebody and go, Hey, I'm Matt Jones. I, I'm a lawyer for entrepreneurs. <laughs> you know, so so how did you how did you start to build this practice once you understood the vision of what you wanted to accomplish?
1: Yeah. And so I mean, just like any any small business, especially I think service-based businesses, uh, from the start I casted a, a wide net. Um, I started seeing activity in my particular market, Oklahoma City. Um, there was a lot of a lot of traction and a lot of action on the startup entrepreneurial front. I mean, I wouldn't consider us a traditional startup ecosystem, um, and as such, I, I just knew that there was a there was a gap there. There was no one doing what I'm currently doing. And I knew that. And so I I just took the plunge and early on cast my net wide and made known my interest in what I was doing for entrepreneurs. And as you alluded to, most lawyers, when when you describe what you're doing, they would they would say that there's some sort of subject matter expert. So I'm a I'm an employment attorney or I am a business attorney. I am a litigator, whatever. And from from the start, I thought that was a little, I thought that was reversed. I thought it was more informative to start telling people about the people I serve. And then just say that I'm a lawyer for that particular demographic. And so from the beginning, just saying I'm a lawyer for entrepreneurs was compelling because no one else was saying it. And I think a lot of people just kind of grabbed onto that and we are where we're at today. So.
0: Well, you you made mention that you cast a wide net and I think that's like any business owner, right? When you're getting started, um, you tend to do business with just about anybody that fits a certain characteristic. But over time, as you start to really see where the bigger need is and where the problems are, you tend to get more focused in that niche. But take us through, if you would, um, like like if I came to you and we were sitting down and I had an idea and I wanted to launch, um, you know, a new company on that. How do you take somebody through that process?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Rick. I think that the, the approach that I, I like to take is situating circumstances and buckets. And so what I would do is um, sit down with you and, and help you to define what you want. And there's, there's more than three buckets, but I think for most business owners and founders um, you can get started in pretty much um, three areas of protection. And so I, I would talk about, okay, what is your desire to protect your brand from a legal perspective? Um, is epic and important part of um, is protecting the name and the brand equity important. Um, do we need to file trademarks, copyrights, patents? So I, we would talk about brand protection and then we would talk about asset protection. So um, that's, the, that's another bucket. So protecting, uh, protecting your personal assets, protecting your business assets, protecting your assets relative to your co-founder, partner, your vendors, suppliers. So there's a protective element of what you're building and protecting that. And then I think the third would be, um, and it goes along with the one I just said, of protecting your finances. So we'll talk about small business tax and some tax strategies and ways to potentially create holding companies or subsidiaries or um, structuring your business in a way that makes sense today, but is also positioned from, from a financial pr- perspective uh, to succeed, based on your ambition and what you want to do with your business,
0: and, and that's great because I know uh, I know you're talking a little bit about things like not only structure of the e- entity, but buy sell agreements and and different things like that. And I know that that is something that I come across all the time. Uh, a lot of times, simply the buy sell agreements aren't even signed if they're done at all. Um, little are they often funded. Um, And so we come across those things. And I I think it's interesting that you have that conversation at the beginning. Um, And and hopefully, uh, I'm guessing that you help make sure that that gets not only talked about, but put into place. Here's the one thing that I'm curious about. You say, you know, the buckets and you talk about, uh, you know, we talk about vision a lot. And it sounds kind of cliche, but the reality is, when when we have an idea and we're passionate and we vet it out, we kind of see the future and it helps us kind of take the steps, you know, now to get ourselves there. As you're working with these young, most time or new entrepreneurs, is there something that you see in a common thread that is a misconception or uh, a stumbling block that you have to help them get over right out of the gate?
1: Yeah, so this might sound counterintuitive based on my position as a lawyer, but I think that a lot of things that tend to trip up, founders is just getting lost in the weeds early on. And so um, I, I'm just a huge fan and including myself and in building my own practice, but also in counseling entrepreneurs that you need to st- identify and clarify and stay in your lane. And so with it, it's different for everyone. Some people thrive in the weeds and love that admin aspect. And I would say, and it's part of my job to, to help recognize that in those particular uh, clients. But then I would say go for that. For the, but I would say the majority of clients, uh, to your point, do not thrive in those, in, in the weeds, in the, the legal nuances or financial tax nuances. And so um, early on, I, I, I give them permission to take that weight off their shoulder. Mm-hmm. I think that really when... When people are purchasing, and I say purchasing, it's probably not the right word, but when people are engaging an advisor, so whether that's an attorney or an accountant or um, a business coach, uh, I really think that you're not you're not purchasing necessarily the output. A lot of times, you're purchasing the peace of mind that someone else is taking a bit of risk or a bit of responsibility off your shoulder, so you can stay in your lane and grow your business and really execute on your vision. Cause I guarantee you that most people's vision when they're growing their company for entrepreneurs and founders, they're not envisioning some elaborate legal infrastructure that's going to help them succeed. I mean, that's, that's obviously my job to help them. And so if, if, if a founder is, you know, in those nuances and weeds that I can tell is not their lane, then I, I try to give them permission to, Hey, Take that weight off your shoulder. You can rest your head on your pillow at night knowing that you have someone in your corner to to handle that so then you can stay in your lane and, and grow the company.
0: Well, and, and it's kind of that unique ability that we all like to talk about, right? It's like if you're doing what you love doing and delegate out to other people that are good at what they do to support you you have a better chance. There is no guarantee as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a small business. Um, but I often think about why there's such a high success or excuse me, a high failure rate in small business. And I often ne- normally gravitate towards the financial aspect, right, which you talk about. It's getting a tax bill unprepared for, having no profits during a downturn and these kind of things and managing that. But the reality is it, it's probably also to your point Um, the inability to let go and delegate and feel like you've got to do everything and until a point, you just kind of burn out or, you know, you you fall on your own sword a little bit. Matt, let me ask you this then. So, you're a business owner. You work with entrepreneurs. When you launched your practice, when you launched Verge, did you learn anything unexpected in the early years?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been... So what I have been preaching in our previous conversation 5 minutes ago, I don't think that I lived up to that and I had to to learn the hard way. And so I would I alluded to it early on and I don't I don't regret this. I think it was necessary when you're just launching out and you just need to put food on the table, but casting my net wide and basically taking on any particular engagement just to be able to pay the bills was Something that i I look back on I think is necessary, but I don't know, but as I've moved on in the practice and really developed what the the types of engagements that I, that I enjoy that I thrive in that I probably provide the most value in i've I've really started to put structures in place to um, be disciplined in in staying in that lane while recognizing that that's really impossible to. Uh, with the, just the complexities of life and with, on the legal front, your clients have a multitude of, of of issues that may not be in your particular lane, but you, you're the one that just makes sense to solve that in that particular moment. And so um, I think early on, it just tripped me up not like not knowing when to say no or not knowing how to steer in the direction that I know I flourish in and that I know that I can provide the most value in.
0: It's some of the best advice uh, a new business owner can really heed. Is um, and and it is interesting because sometimes you do have that wider net out of necessity, but the the real ability to scale and to see growth and success comes from actually getting smaller. Right as as a saying, we don't want to do a hundred things. To our audience, right we want to do one or two things to hundreds and hundreds of people or four hundreds and hundreds of people um, mm-hmm. as we scale well I listen I know that you're very entrenched in our startup community you do a lot of work there and and it's important. Tell us a little bit about Oklahoma and the startup community as you've experienced it over the last couple of years
1: yeah. I think it's for one. It's thriving. It's growing. Um, I've always held a position that, for as long as you know, I have lived and I'm going to continue professionally, um, I want to be in an area that's growing. I think that we are products of our surroundings, and if, if an ecosystem t- is stagnant or is on the decline, even mature ecosystems, um, then I think that that's a recipe for just stagnation in your own personal life. So that being said, I think that. Um, one good thing or promising thing about Oklahoma is that it's it's growing because we we aren't mature and technology and the low cost of living, um, the ability to work from anywhere um, has really I think given Oklahomans now the the voice in the world that I think that we were all desiring from the beginning. Seems like we were on the outside looking in. You know, we're trying to get a seat at the table. Um, I think now the table has expanded and you can grab a seat in whatever little nook of the table you want now. So I think that's one promising thing. Um, One thing that I think is unique about Oklahoma that I don't see in other big cities that we go visit from time to time is the ability to connect with A-level players over coffee so, I mean, relatively easily. So in more mature ecosystems, it's usually you, you have to get two to three connections out from the person you want to connect with and figure out a way to get to that person. And then by the time you're doing that, then you you know, you may get 10 minutes on his calendar or whatever. Here in Oklahoma, I can email the CEO of one of the top five companies in in town and and most likely schedule a coffee next Wednesday at 10 AM if I want to. So I think accessibility to high performing people is you know, is a and I don't know if that's like an Oklahoma ethos just because we're so handshake down to earth and wanting to help each other out or um, if it's just because we're all, you know, in the same relatively small ecosystem looking to, to help each other out. And there's just an element of that. But um, I, I, I've been really encouraged just the ability if you want to reach high level people, the, the access to reach them.
0: I I completely agree. And I like to think it's probably a little bit of both and perhaps one of our best kept secrets. I, I have been wondering about this a lot, if we're going to see more entrepreneurs come into our community as this starts to kind of reveal itself and they look at alternatives, low cost. Um, you know, we've got some great universities and we have technology and um, I totally agree. Well, Matt, Uh, you know, before the show, I told you I had recently read uh, Morgan Housel's new book, The Psychology of Money. And in his book, he makes the following point. He says, if a VC makes 50 investments, they likely expect half of them to fail, 10 of them to do pretty well, and one or two to be bonanzas. Those one or two drive 100% of the fund's returns. And it got me thinking, if that's the case, Talk to us from your viewpoint. Why would a why would a startup want to partner with a VC firm when they know those statistics?
1: Yeah, those are those are interesting statistics, and uh, and I think they hold true. Um, so I think from a startup's vantage point, so it's interesting. You have the VC's vantage point, and then you have the startup's vantage point. So um, your question alludes to the startup, the founders' vantage point. I think that. I, I, this is an area that I've changed my mind on, I think the last two or three years. So I'll preface by saying that I came into the whole startup world as kind of the champion for the entrepreneur and the founder. And a lot of times, like in, we live in what a lot of people would, would coin like a zero sum engagement to where, you know, if a term that a founder is negotiating with an investor. Is, one, is favorable to the founder, then it must mean that it's disfavorable to the investor um, and vice versa. If it's an investor friendly term, then it must be disfavorable to the founder. But I found over time that I actually think that most term sheets really are mutually beneficial all the way across the board. Once you understand the premise that you set forth and how investors get returns, at least in the VC uh, world, then you start understanding, oh, okay, like I, I know that they have to have that in there because otherwise that thesis doesn't come and and bear bear to, you know, get the returns that they need. So from a founder's perspective, I would want to join a VC firm uh, because I know that they have the resources and they have the, they have the incentive to make you grow. And so um, I think this is, again, I changed my mind on it and now I'm, I think I've taken that 180 pretty much and have, have have really tried to help educate founders from the investor's perspective and try to advocate for the investor on behalf of the of the entrepreneur. So I think that there's, I think the going at it alone and, you know, shunning that world, it, it may work for some people. I don't think it's wise, especially if you're in a high growth um, vertical that requires, Uh, that you probably partner with some large corporation down the road that inevitably you need um, these connections and board members and stakeholders that are going to be able to, to, you know, fill those dots in for you. Well, it's a good point.
0: And, uh, you know, I told you before the show, it's not a hot seat question, but I was curious uh, because of your experience and your vantage point there. But the reality is when we say venture capital, a lot of people think, just, just money, right? Like just money, and it is, and it, and it's, and that helps. But it's also a ton of connection. It's a ton of experience. These are teams with, with a mission, like you said. They don't necessarily. They know that they model for risk in the way that they do, but they want to see each one of the the companies that they bring under the umbrella succeed. And and I got to think that they're getting something out of that. Um, but I appreciate you sharing. So. My question to you is, how does, you know, the startup community in Oklahoma City, how do we as business owners, um, how do we help support our fellow entrepreneurs in the startup community that, that's going on in Oklahoma City?
1: I think accessibility. I, I really, and I think the pandemic's highlighting this. I think that there is a, there's a certain laws in the universe, a spiritual component to human connection that I don't think is quantifiable, but I think it's you just, you know it when you see it. And that's when people are engaging with one another on a human to human level, then good things tend to happen. That's when opportunities um, start creating themselves and ideas start um, really um, interacting with one another. And so I think the best, the easiest and the best way, and it's not a formula, it's just being accessible to, the ecosystem at large. And so that looks like a little bit different for everyone. I have my little slice of the pie and the legal component, but everyone, there's a seat within the entire uh, pie for someone to, to get into the ecosystem. And if you are identified in the entrepreneurial tribe as a, as, some, as you're the best in the world at what you're doing within this little niche, then that is the formula for success if you're trying to serve entrepreneurs. And so um, I think it's, uh, I mean, I'm a huge Seth Godin fan and um, you know he always talks about, I think this was in his book called The Dip, um, where he makes the case that you, that we as entrepreneurs should, should seek to become the best in the world at what we do. Um, and, and, and the world is de- defined differently for everyone. So it's not literally for most people you know the the actual entire world, but it's your world, your ecosystem. You need to be the best at what you do in your world, and if you do that and you serve that world better than anyone, then the market tends to only reward the number one, maybe the number two or number three in that particular industry, and then everyone else is just fighting down below. And so, so I, I think it's just identifying the tribe and then just being accessible and being the go-to person in your particular lane within that tribe. Good stuff.
0: Good stuff. I I appreciate you doing that. Well, listen, I want to get into the craft beer for a little bit because I think this points out to that, that entrepreneurial spirit in you. But while we're on the topic um, before we leave the topic of small business and the legal perspective, as if you were looking back over, you know the last few years and that kind of thing. What advice would you give to somebody who is thinking about starting a business, you know, or, or, or contemplating
1: that entrepreneurial journey, if you will? I would say to to have strong opinions but hold them loosely. I think <laughs> that uh, you have to. You uh, we don't live in a linear world, and so. Um, whether you you define your existence daily, hourly, weekly, monthly, however it is, whatever your box is, you know it's going to be different next month or next week than you've envisioned it. And so you've got to have some conviction and clarity. Um, and and I, that's why I think you always have to revisit it and visualize your day, visualize your future on a daily basis, but don't hold on to something just because you said you were going to You know, do that. That was your vision for your company and you're sticking, sticking to your guns. And um, I think you have to have conviction, but I also think you have to hold that loosely and be willing to pivot and pivot drastically. And in some cases.
0: It's a continual nurture and learn. And, and it's a great point. Yeah, we all need vision. We need great vision because that's, I mean, can can you imagine if Steve Jobs didn't have vision, right? And <laughs> didn't oh, yeah. stick a little bit to it, but that guy also moved and pivoted and, and continued to think about where the, as we'll say, the puck was going, right? So love that, Matt. Hey, okay, so now let's turn the tables because I love a good craft beer, maybe a little too much um, from time to time talk to me about this. What is it? How did you start it? Why did you start it? And then why did that lead, did that lead to the renovation of the Victorian house or did the Victorian house lead to the craft beer?
1: Yep. The, the, yep. The latter. So okay. the house preceded the vision. Uh, so it, it was a group of, of, of friends who had seen a few of these types of concepts work in other markets. And, uh, um, in our particular community, there was a Victorian house. Um, it wasn't for sale, but it was in a perfect location. Um, after a few months of talking with them, convinced them to sell it, um, renovated it into uh, what's now a craft beer house and lawn. Uh, we really wanted it to be, um, th- we wanted you to feel like you were in the backyard of a friend's house enjoying really good beer. Cause I think that that, that particular ethos and feeling of community is uh, I think what a lot of people crave and the authenticity and we've kept it a little gritty uh, because of that. Um, And so I think that it's a, and it's funny and I, looking back, I wouldn't, I didn't go into this thinking this way, but I'm looking back, it was, I would encourage aspiring entrepreneurs and anyone who's wanting to get out is to have like your, your fun little side project that you can tell people about. Um, I think that I gained quicker traction because I would tell people early on that my office was the second floor of a craft beer house and that I only do meetings at three o'clock in the afternoon over good beer. And I mean, who's going to say no to that? I mean, so uh, it's, it's a way to, uh, to uh, just to be interesting, I guess would be a better way to put it. But um, but yeah, it's been a journey five or six, maybe seven years now, um, and we're growing every year, which is uncommon in in hospitality. And so, yeah. So, you know, Matt, what's fascinating
0: to me is you prove the point that entrepreneurs are very seldom one dimensional, but, but I got to believe that there's a core um, blueprint, whether you're running the brewery or you're running your practice and your business. Um, and, And I love having, you just show the world that, Hey, there's more to Matt than, than just one dimension. So, so, kudos to you. And uh, it's too cold today, but I expect to get an invite soon to, to come uh, get some counsel and, and enjoy one of right. the beverages. Right. Out on the house. Good. Well, listen, um, uh, we've come to the end of this, this podcast episode. And, you know, if you had to think through this conversation today, and again, we want to leave the audience with some nuggets here, you know, is there anything that you would want to share with the entrepreneurial community?
1: I think that the importance of just clarity on a lot of different fronts um, goes unspoken about but I think in in uh, this relates to the concept of freedom but I think just sitting in the ability to be free to just think and dream on where you want to be and where you want your business to be and just gaining, just just creating space and silence and solitude to um, to gain clarity on what you really want. I've seen too many people succeed, but succeed down the wrong path. And I don't think that now they would view that as success. And so I think just clarifying what what you actually want to do, and then continually revisiting it. Like because like I said earlier, I think that you have to have a north star, but you also Half, the, the path there is going to be windy, um, it's not going to be just a straight path there. And so just continually revisit your, your why and, um, and just visualizing what your future self would be and um, I think and just executing based on what your future self would want and having a long term vision, not a short term vision.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, Matt, I really appreciate you being on the show today. And, you know, if people want to connect with Verge Law or connect with you, learn more about Verge Law um, or the, the brewery, right? Um, okay. How do they do that? How do they get in touch with you?
1: So, and I realize that if you're three connections away, you can't do this, but LinkedIn is by far the most active uh, social platform um, by far email. I'll give my email out there. Um, I am a fan of email and so I'm not one of the people that will, you know, st- put it in the archives and never read it. So, it's mjones at um, You know, virgelaw.com is the website. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Don't really use Facebook much. A little bit of Twitter. Um, and then, if you're in Oklahoma City, then I'd be happy to, to take you to the, the craft beer house and enjoy a drink with you anytime.
0: Good. Good. Well, we'll have um, all that information in our show notes, guys. So, be sure to check out the website, epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast for this episode. If you want to replay it, uh, the show notes and past episodes. If you like today's show, be sure to give us a five-star rating. Um, I like to joke around. They tell me that's important. Subscribe so you can get future episodes of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. And, you know, If you want to join one of our mastermind groups or learn more about one of those community groups that we do, want to learn about the Freedom Formula or any of the other resources, check out our website at EPIC.com sbiz.com or give me a email send me an email i too will read your email rick at epic let us know what you like let us know what you'd like to hear if we answer a question that you pose to us on the show we'll send you a nice gift so be sure to check that out give us give us some information we want to hear from you we appreciate you and until next time remember we're only getting started the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our Freedom Formula at epicsbiz.com formula. And remember, we're only getting started.